What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. I'm your host, Felicia, and I'm a lady talking about sex. And this week is a little bit different than our average episode, but I think that it's super important to have these discussions and bring a little bit of intersectionality into our discussions surrounding sex and surrounding, you know, being a woman and, you know, the current situation with um, police brutality in North America in general. So we have a wonderful guest with us. We have Jasmine. Jasmine, would you like to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Jasmine Johnson. I am the owner and lead therapist of Blue Pearl Therapy. I am also the co-owner of Royal Fetish Films and also Jet Setting Jasmine LLC, which is an adult entertainment and education company. I am a licensed clinical therapist. I'm also an adult performer and master fetish trainer and a mom and a sister and a daughter and a guest of yours today. And what a badass guest we have with us. It's super exciting. I'm so happy to have you here. Um, And today I kind of wanted to discuss your opinion and your experience with, you know, systematic racism and mental health, because obviously you have such great expertise and you also give in the layer of, you know, your experience within the adult film industry and um, all of the great things you do. So you're really giving us like a multidimensional look at kind of what's going on, especially within... Mm -hmm the black community, which I think is super important to acknowledge. Um, So I think maybe we can just kind of start from the beginning. Um, You know, George Floyd was the man who kind of was the catapult to the whole Black Lives Matter movement within the last couple weeks. Um, His death, one of the most unfortunate deaths I think we've ever seen, but he's one of many, unfortunately. I kind of wanted to maybe ask, maybe from your experience or from experience with individuals in your community, um, what other forms of systematic oppression do you see on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so um, so just, just to kind of provide a little bit more context, and I think it is important, like, yes, Mr. Floyd's death was certainly the most recent catapult of um, the... the um, the movement that we are seeing right now. But I think it's safe to say that movements um, around this particular topic have been around since the beginning of the, um, you know, since just keeping the focus at least to police brutality and systemic racism. Um, it's it's kind of, we transition from a, a, a system of slavery to a system of, of racism that has infiltrated every single industry within this country, and I can even go as far as to say wherever there was colonization, there is now systematic racism. So, um, and I I, want to, you know, honor, obviously, Mr. Floyd's life and um, the value that that the loss of his life is bringing us. And it's so hard to say that, that the loss of his life is likely going to be the impetus for for freedoms, um, but it is also on the back of so many other black and brown people prior to. And, um, you know, when we see people protest, I think it's important for us to also acknowledge that they are protesting in honor of the many um, forms of brutality that black and brown people have faced from um, the brutality that ends in the in in murder um, to the brutality that kills us all very slowly and has continued to over time. So um, just to kind of provide that historical context and why this is so heavy hitting. So you, your question about where do I see systemic racism again in every single industry? I just would if you're open to it, would love to do like a little activity with you. Yeah, I would love to. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Name an industry. Anything, anything. Look at a product in your house or in your in your studio, and um, let's let's see what we can do with it. Uh, I see my cell phone right now. Okay, cool. Um, so technology, right? Let's talk about um, systemic racism in technology, right? Something um, as interesting as. Um, access to technology, right? And how that can become a barrier to 
really to to one's um, success in this in in our modern world. Uh, I'll take it to uh, just recently with COVID nineteen, kids had to go had to go into homeschooling. And so many children in this country were unable to um, immediately engage in in learning because of lack of technology in the household. And the schools that they are zoned for, which we know, like education has a lot of systemic racism in it as well, um, you know, don't did not have access to technology to help children be able to do these work at um, school from home or homeschooling, sorry, homeschooling during this time. So this is something that like during kind of imagine a child that is used to growing up with technology, having to shift gears from school to homeschooling. It's still a transition, but probably a little bit easier because they are very accustomed to using technology. For those students who don't have access to, we're asking them to learn and work twice as hard to catch up and stay on par um, with the, the requests of the school system, not taking into account some children do not have access to technology in the way that um, privileged children do. So this is just like something as simple. It's like your cell phone can prompt a conversation. And there's so many other technological ways that things that I can go into. Um, just even how black and brown people are least likely to be recruited into the fields of tech and technology, how Things like emojis. Do you remember emojis didn't have my skin color prior to maybe what, two years ago, I think? Yeah, it's definitely within the last five years. Right, where there was some variety. Um, So these these are ways when I text and I can't use an emoji, like uh, like yellow is fine, right? Because there are no yellow people, right? Blue is fine. They're, they're, but then when we start getting into this variation of skin tones or these emo, um, emoticons that are only white skin, there's no representation for me even on my own device. This is supposed to be a customized device, right? But it's not customized to people of color, which now, like obviously, we raised hell about that too so um you know rightfully it's, uh, so like right? it, i paid a lot of money for this phone i want it to freaking look like me when i put up my middle finger in my text i want it to be my middle <laughs> finger so i think you know we I, I just to kind of um take this away from the idea of race and racism only being in and being displayed in um, police brutality. I think what we see with the police is really kind of like the outcome of all of these racist intersections in our life. And then we see it played out with the stereo, them applying stereotypes to black and brown people justifying their, um, their very cruel and very intended actions against us. That was a mouthful. No, it's, it's definitely important and I even think discussing technology even representation through media and movies like for a long long time and obviously it's it's changing it's still not mm-hmm. 100% there yet i still see people that look more like me than i do of my brown roommate so mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's definitely something that even me myself living with my roommate who's from guyana she she makes note when she sees someone that looks like her on TV. She's like, oh, that looks like me. Yeah. And I don't ever have to think that because, you know, mm-hmm. I'm white with brown hair, brown eyes. I look like everyone else. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's something that has a huge factor into, you know, mm-hmm. obviously the representation of people of color in media has has not necessarily always been the most accurate or the kindest portrayal. Um, And you see that a lot even in Disney movies, too, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which is like something that people don't even think about because, oh, it's a Disney movie. It's okay, But then you look at Aladdin and all the villains have accents. So it's it it definitely even just it's so multifaceted. And I think that's Mm -hmm. something that when I'm having these conversations with my family and my white friends, I think it's important to recognize that it's not just it's not something just of face value, it's so deeply ingrained. And Absolutely. I think obviously the, the understanding and the, re- the un- understanding where it comes from and how having slaves affects 
literally the way our society was created mm-hmm. is and continues to be holds such value or mm-hmm. not value but holds so a, wet, a lot of weight a, a lot mm-hmm. of weight essentially mm-hmm. and so I, I really like that game because I think that that's something people can do at home mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and you can even just look at anything like um, makeup that's yeah, a huge how is this, one. Oh, it's huge. How is this equitable for how is this equitable for black and brown people? Um, do I think when I when when you go and shop for makeup, do you have to like go to a particular store or can you go to a drugstore if you're in a pinch, right? And grab some concealer or something like that. Um, nude even the word nude, right? For color coloration of clothing. Um, Nude lipstick is not nude lipstick on me. A nude bra on me is like pretty damn clear. I'm wearing a bra, you know. <laughs> and and so the, you're right. Like the that activity is something that help, can help someone even do a solo activity within themselves. Do I see? Do I see the world through the lens of? Um, this privilege or am I able to see the world from the the fact that like that it should be accessible to everyone you know and and I think when we start to view things for truly what they are are they inclusive exclusive are they accessible to everyone then we start to acknowledge our own biases and we also start to acknowledge like where we can find our own passion for protests no, 100%. And I, I really want to challenge everyone listening to maybe do that with their roommate or their family member, yeah. whoever they're living with, or even just on your own. Mm-hmm. And let us know what you find, because I think it's it's super interesting, and it's definitely like an easy game you could even play at the dinner table, which yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think is super great. Um, mm-hmm. But I think something that a lot of people forget, especially if they're not, if they don't have to face this racism on the day and they're not actively thinking about it mm-hmm. something that really breaks my heart is mm-hmm. you know ch- how children are affected by oh, systemic yeah. racism and mm-hmm. um i remember the week george floyd unfortunately passed there was a huge so- social media craze and everyone was posting videos and i was mm-hmm. doing as much learning as i possibly could at the time mm-hmm. but then i came across this video of parents black parents speaking to their children about police Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. there's this one video and i'll link it on our instagram about a young a young girl who was like eight years old Mm -hmm. and she knew how to respond to the police saying Mm -hmm. my name is i'm eight years old i have no weapons i'm not Mm -hmm. here to hurt you Mm -hmm. and so do you want to maybe like elaborate on this like incredibly painful thing and you have children as well Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. yeah how does that maybe affect you and your children and how you raise yeah. them? Um, much the same. Much the same. I have um, I have daughters, um, two older daughters, 19 and 16, and a two-year-old son. And, um, yeah, my kids know protocol. I mean, the two-year-old will know protocol as well. Um, at the end of the day, I have to teach my children how to survive in America and um, how to survive in the skin that they are in. And we don't get the luxury of allowing our children to be children. I'm going to get emotional. I'm sorry. Um, no, don't be. It's fine. This is, this is, it needs to be raw because it is. Um, we're not of robotic people. You know, we are not, um, we want the same for our children when we, we don't want our children to, to live in fear. We do not want our children to have to be, have to defend themselves against adults. Um, we don't want our children to have to feel hate um, that they certainly didn't earn, you know, and I think for adults, it's a little bit, it's not easier, but, um, you know, we, we have the context to be able to understand how someone got to this point. Um, or even, I am not a threat, but based on what you have done to me and my people and your own guilt, I can see how you may view me as a potential threat to you. Um, where someone said it really well, where she said, um, America should be glad that all we want is equality and not revenge. Um, but if you are looking at me through the lens of wanting revenge, 
then I can imagine that I can be seen as dangerous to you. Um, but my children, my God, you know, and I don't have the privilege of not having those conversations with my children. I hate, imagine th- like having your, having a conversation with your child about how they might die um, at no fault of their own. Uh, it's incredibly uncomfortable. It's dehumanizing. Uh, it takes the beauty of of their innocence away because we're basically teaching them to um that they are they are guilty of something you know before they even you know before they even learn what crime is they learn that they are essentially living in a criminalized body and um i i have a a good friend um that spoke on a on, on a podcast not, or a, a TV show not so long ago, and she said, "To not have these conversations with your children is to be negligent as a parent," and that really struck me because um, when we think about the way like the, the way people that have privilege raise their children, it is almost a crime to talk to scare the the life out of your kids. You know, it would be considered abusive to be having these fear tactics and teaching an eight-year-old child how to avoid being killed by the police. It would be, why are you filling that child's head with, you know, these these scary thoughts? But in our communities, it's considered negligent and almost abusive if we do not teach our children how to survive racism in America. That fundamentally is like soul crushing. And, and I, I hope that you know those that are listening can can somewhat empathize with what that might feel like and do you want children to have to learn how to survive your monstros the monstrosities that you perpetuate forward and I'm obviously I'm not talking to you but um, meaning the stereotypes that we perpetuate forward the ways that we don't uh, make black and brown people visible, not just to black and brown people, to all people where we can normalize our existence. Do you want to be a part of this problem that we, th- like this problematic conversation that we have with our children? Um, and so I, I like to, to put racism on all of our shoulders. Like we are all impacted by it and we are all a part of the problem um, in one way, shape or another. And so if you don't help normalize my existence in this world, you are a part of the reason why I have to put the fear of God in my children to know how to survive being black in this country. I think you said that so eloquently because I just think me myself as a white woman, it is up to me to make smart and ethical choices on how I choose to raise my children and Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. to make them aware of maybe not the injustices that they might face, but the injustices that their peers might face. Absolutely. And I'm very young. I'm 20. Children are not in my future (laughs) time soon. (laughs) But I do, I think, you know, with this whole movement, we've talked a lot about how to raise anti-racist children, which Mm -hmm. is something that I think is definitely a lot more beneficial I you know grew up in a very white suburban area Mm -hmm, I really mm -hmm. didn't have that many friends of color I was Mm -hmm. very lucky to you know be raised by a very uh, empathetic mother who kind Mm -hmm. of had a good understanding of some of these topics but I grew up with the idea that the police are here to help you and my mom (laughs) always told me if you Mm -hmm. ever get lost or if you ever if something bad always happens go see the police officer And I was actually having an interesting conversation with um, one of the sexual violence responders at Mm -hmm. McGill University. And my initial response when we were talking about being an active bystander was to call the police. And she said, (laughs) you know what? That's really not a good idea. And I had to really check myself and check my privilege and say, I I always think that the best option is that mm-hmm. because I don't mean myself I'm five foot three you know mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. hit me hard enough I'm gone like that's <laughs> it but that's not always the safest option no. for everyone yeah. mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so I think really understanding this and really just like my heart goes out to you and and your kids because this is something that like I probably won't ever have to have that conversation but even just the idea mm-hmm. is just excruciatingly painful I can't imagine living it yeah 
Well, um, and and I don't want you to. And I think that is also important. Um, when we talk about, you know, your privilege, like I would not want to give up that privilege. I would want to extend it. And and I think, you know, sometimes there's this very like um, and it's a very colonizing way of thinking of like if I, I have to have all the things um, because if I don't have or if I give someone some of the things that I won't be able to, you know, I don't win or something. But the reality is like, no, like acknowledging that um, what I experience is unimaginable. Help me make it un- unimaginable for the next generation of children or help me make it unimaginable for the future. Just where I was like, can you believe we did that thing in 2020? That's unimaginable now, you know, Um you, you, I, I just want to kind of, since we talked about my experience in mental health, I want to share that I'm a mandated reporter, right? So when um, I learn of, of abuse and, um, and or a person wanting to harm themselves or someone else, it is, I have a duty to report that. And um, I, so, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's a whole protocol that's involved with that, but sometimes that could involve a wellness check. Right. And um, historically, when I was working in, with a predominantly white, um, white based clientele, calling for a welfare check using the non-emergency police line to go and check on my client was a definitely viable option. Um, as my clientele has, you know, I went from working with with that clientele to them working with veterans with um who many of them struggle with PTSD and having to kind of even rethink that intersection of the police walking in on someone who has a mental health illness and it might be hyper vigilant, paranoid and um, and acting acting aggressively and having to think about like, no, I probably need to contact um, a veteran organization and ask them to please accompany the police in doing this wellness check. Then taking it a step further with my black and brown clients and my clients that are also sex workers, having to kind of completely rethink that protocol because I need us. I need someone to go in and be eyes and ears that and that will help me de-escalate the situation, assess for safety, and implement safety if it's not there. Not someone that is going to aggravate, um, escalate, and or murder my client. So this sometimes looks like when I start therapy with a black or brown client, I need to know, like, is it possible that you can give me your neighbor's information? Is it possible that you can um, tell me what the local fire department is closest to you? Is it possible, like all of these other alternatives, because I cannot use the same system that we pay into for these exact things the way that somebody that is white would because I want my client to not commit suicide, not get murdered. You know, it's just, it, it, it's it's so, um, int- it's not even interesting, it's so sad how racism intersects every single aspect of um, my life, even with respect to how I provide services to people of color. 100% and I think it's so it's so I don't want to say it's so great but it's it's so important that you take all of these avenues and even mm-hmm. me as a white woman I'm still having to check myself and, and make sure. sure that I'm doing the right thing for the people involved all the time because it's something that even though you know I live in Canada I've always lived in Canada it still happens here it mm-hmm. still happens in Quebec, and police brutality is still a mm-hmm. thing here, so we're not, you know, hands mm-hmm. clean of this. But yeah. I think that something that really gets overlooked in this conversation around racism is mental health. I feel like mental health is obviously overlooked mm-hmm. by a mm-hmm. lot of communities, not just, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But something that I've been learning over time is that, and I feel like, kind of ignorant saying this but a lot of these events you know with police brutality and and you know these conversations with your children they cause PTSD and trauma mm-hmm. and stress and and anxiety and an immense amount of you know mental health issues or just like spikes even or triggers and i feel like it's super super overlooked mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um 
So maybe do you want to like elaborate on how these traumas and these encounters maybe affect the black community yeah. as a whole? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, there's a term called collective trauma. And, um, you know, I, I'm trying to trying to liken it to something, but there really is nothing, nothing like it. Um, there's individual trauma and just try to have, try to have an understanding. There's individual trauma on a personal level. Um, so, you know, it's how I, how I interact with myself based on living in a, um, a country that promotes white supremacy. Um, or in a world that promotes white light supremacy, you know, how do I view myself as a as a person? Do I ver, ver, view myself as worthy, as valuable, as beautiful, as um, you know, all of the things that you that you know, kind of when you said like Disney princesses, right? Like, do I can I imagine myself as a princess, so to speak, um, from a, from a young age as a little girl? So try to think about trauma setting in as early as you can see and see yourself represented that's pretty early like we're talking baby dolls cartoons right toys things of that sort um that's the initial the initial trauma is i don't see myself represented or the representation that i see of myself is not accurate as it's depicted um then then taking it another step further school um very clear from a very young age that was the white school they have books computers, nice buses, um, clean clean amenities, activities, sports, new uniforms. It was very, very evident that um, there was something, some disparity going on even as a child. That's traumatic. And you start wondering, am I getting a good education? Do I have what it takes to compete? Is it a fear? fair playing ground? Should I set myself up for college or is that going to be more of the same? Take it into college. I have been to college three times now. I have three different higher higher learning degrees. Will I get hired? Are those jobs going to be available to me? Why did I get the shitty internship? Um, Do I need to change my name on my resume so that it doesn't sound so ethnic? Um, these are these are not just feelings. These are actual impacts on our ability to function and thrive in our lives. So, um, you know, I think when people think sometimes of trauma, it's like, oh, like you must have been able to see yourself in Mr. Floyd. That must really hurt. Not not only does it hurt as a collective people to see someone that looks like me being treated this way, being murdered this way, being targeted this way, but it also has an impact on my partner. I'm like, you cannot go take out the garbage at night anymore. That's it. And he's like, I've been doing, I'm like, no, no, they're riled up. We'll take it in the morning. We'll take it together. And like this starting to create, um, our world gets a lot smaller our functionability in the world gets a lot smaller because of these traumas. And, it, and, and, and so it's not just a feeling, it, is, it becomes a way of life. And so when black people say like, we're surviving to be in this country, it really is that. It's like literally every single decision is based on, will I be like, oh, I wanna go in the store. Here, here's like the simplest example. Oh, me and my kids want to go shopping. And I literally have to say, leave that bag in the car. It's like my daughter would be like, mom, it's my purse. Yeah, but it looks too big. They may think that you're going to steal something. What kind of shopping experience is that? You know, and so this is the this is trauma. This is how trauma plays out. Now, if you want to take it even further into like the medical science of it, I mean, look, black people have higher prevalence of high blood pressure, heart disease, stroke. I can go on and on and people will say incredible things like, oh, like it's your diet or it's hygiene and all this. Like, no, you try living with 400 years of collective trauma and tell me that your blood pressure is not going to be up. Oh, but we also didn't talk about the intersections of race and medicine, which we'll say for another show. Mm-hmm. So that blood pressure and heart disease probably could have been caught way earlier on if there was an implicit bias in medicine. But I digress. No, we definitely had that discussion with Dr. Uh, Kamala a couple weeks ago where she talked about, you know, 
the implicit bias in even white doctors and the ideas mm-hmm. about um, black people feel pain differently than white people and mm-hmm. just all this stupid shit that people just decided and then, mm-hmm. you know, it, it mm-hmm. kept going. But I think recognizing that trauma isn't just a, a traumatic event. It's, yes. it's kind of an idea of how your life should be and how it's going and it's mm-hmm. a it's a common thread that yeah. doesn't stop I think mm-hmm. is something that a lot of people don't understand mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so I really appreciate that open understanding yeah. of it especially mm-hmm. as a black or brown person mm-hmm. um, and that's something that I never had to experience mm-hmm. but I don't it's not just or fair for anyone to have that or to carry that um so maybe talking about kind of intersectionality within Mm -hmm. the black community and obviously there's differences between you know the two heteronormative genders of male and female um Mm -hmm. and the sexes Mm -hmm. so maybe how do you feel how do you think black women feel um and like the different effects within being a black woman that you know black men might not have to face or the yeah. the, the, the struggle is obviously different right right oh thank you for asking that question because um because we certainly do get all, all lumped together right and um there is kind of this plight of the of of black people in general but then there is also within it's like we still have our feminist issues that um, you, so so kind of like there's a hierarchy when it comes to things. So, you know, it's like white men, white women, black men, and then black women, and um, and that is kind of like the double oppression, right? Like it sucks to some many days to be a woman, and then like it doubly sucks to be a black woman, you know, um, because even in even in movements around um, feminist topics. Even saying that sounds so weird because that's still like a human rights issue. But anyways, um, even around those topics, black women's voices tend to be silenced. Um, So let's just talk about a couple of things. Um, As a mom, you know, we talk about maternal health. Um, You know, black women are subjected to medical providers suggesting that we can tolerate more pain. Um, So being very very conservative with how they manage our pain. Um, Also, our own knowledge of our bodies is diminished when, you know, if you and I went to the same, let's just say gynecologist, right? And you said like, oh, you know, I feel a little uncomfortable in this area. They may say, oh, okay, let me take a look at, let me take a look and ask you some questions and, um, you know, listen to your symptoms for me it may sound like well how many partners have you had like what (laughs) you know like that doesn't matter right the outcome is whatever is going on like whether you and and though those are the kind of things that we when we're fighting for for women's rights women's equality women's issues we have to if we are truly fighting for women we have to dig into okay this is our experience it's bad now let's find out how it's really bad and let's go ask the black and brown woman so that way when we go to the table with this issue we take you know we we collect it all we we have all all of the information um so i do think that black women are often left out of certain conversations because people are speaking on our behalf as if our experience is the same and it's not um like going going even a step further when it comes to uh just even how we relate in this movement of um let's just say black lives matter black women have a very very unique perspective because historically we were often used as a pawn between white men and um to for to control black men if you take a man's mother wife child sister and force him to watch her be raped talk about some psychological issues for everyone involved and even more so how does that man then relate to that woman that he was not allowed to protect 
that he was not able to protect. So what has happened in our communities is black women have taken this enormous weight of trying to protect our men from the atrocities and and in sometimes putting ourselves in between the two um, as a barrier to to somehow lessen the the violence against men. Um, so I, I do think it's incredibly important when we talk about any issue that we have to break it down to how these issues have an impact on every level. You know, so um, when you're thinking about whatever your next uh, passionate feminist movement is, like Me Too which was co-opted, that was actually like a black woman was the founder of that and it did not pick up speed until it was appropriated by a, a white woman. And, um, and then in that movement, we got lost. I, I remember clearly the actress Lupita said the exact same things about Harvey Weinstein and people said, really, you? I can't, I can't see that. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, the predator <laughs> we, we're now respecting somehow the predator's preference of women. Um, so black women tend to be silenced in our own movements because people don't realize the um, that we have a very unique experience throughout our lives that that um, and, and have been silenced in sharing those experiences to oftentimes the white woman's voice. A hundred percent. And I think it's so important to recognize and acknowledge and I think two things that kind of come to my mind when we talk about this is um, there's that quote that if your feminism isn't intersection, intersectional, then it's not feminism because mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I feel like we're mm-hmm. only as strong as our weakest player. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's so frustrating that even when like Me Too is coming out, there's still demonizing a black woman's claims or her ideas as if Harvey Weinstein has some great, mm-hmm. you know, like he he's only exclusive to white women. I'm like, are you crazy? Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's so frustrating to to hear and to kind of heart even just to like hold and understand that and it's like even when I complain about being a woman I always I always say like it's not even though it's bad for me it's always going to be worse for a black woman or a Native American woman Um, and I even talk about the pay gap a lot and how you know even though it's you know 70 cents to a dollar for a white woman to a black woman it's a lot less and then to an Hispanic woman it's a lot less so it's just like yeah, I think it's important to really think about the ones who are the most, un, I don't want to say, un, the ones who aren't always at the forefront because we have to make room for those. We have to make room for all women mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when we're doing this. Um, but I think something that I'd love to talk about with you is also the sexualization of black women and mm-hmm, your experience mm-hmm. within the adult film industry and yeah um this whole idea surrounding you know black women being like more promiscuous and all this mm-hmm. stupid stuff that people <laughs> just decided to make just, make up yeah mm-hmm, just, mm-hmm. Uh, so some idiot just made this decision and then it just mm-hmm. stuck and everyone just assumes that you know she's so she's so curvaceous okay where does that allow the the demonization of her body you know so so you're right i think this stuff is is while it may be made up out of thin air it certainly is intentional and i think that is important for us to understand that like um people may have an imagination but people sharing their imagination is is intentional right so um the se- over-sexualization of black women's bodies in the adult entertainment industry is um, has been a fight that I have, um, I can say that I've been a part of for the last 10 years. When I entered the adult industry, I was already a therapist, so this is not like, oh, she stripped her way through college or whatever. Like, no, this is not that. Um, this is not like, oh, you know, she was in the adult industry and she realized it was so terrible and she went and got her therapy degree. Nope. I was a therapist working for a large government organization when I cho- chose to enter the adult industry. 
industry. And I did it because, again, representation. Um, I started to talk with other women my age at the time. I was in my 30s um, or entering my 30s. And um, the women were, were sharing, like, we like to watch sexy stuff too, but there's nothing up there. Like I am a professional woman. I don't twerk all day long. Like every time I look, you know, like I want my fantasies to be with someone that I can kind of like imagine myself being, you know? Um, but oh, I get so passionate about this. I have to like take That's a breath. Okay. Oh. There's a lot um, to unpack here. <laughs> there is and not enough time, but um, so hearing women say like I I don't see myself represented every time I look at porn it's like somebody objectifying my body or it is um like of course women have very different bodies but it's like the way that they describe my body all the time is like you know uh I don't know here's this chick with uh or like ebony chick with big fat ass and I'm like looking at it I'm like that's a pretty regular size ass like I wasn't like trying to like I thought I was gonna see like the biggest ass of like all asses and it's just like oh she's like a size seven or whatever you know um that like objectifying us in ways that are not even accurate you know it's it um and putting us in scenes that are the most demeaning and the most disgusting and I'm not talking about demeaning and disgusting from the perspective of like people's kinks are people's kinks right but um when you're object when you are putting someone in a in a position of stereotyping themselves is pretty disgusting you know and I see this also with my um colleagues that are of Asian descent where it doesn't matter how much of a dominatrix they are that keep getting casted in these stupid massage parlor videos you know and or my um one of my colleagues she's a filipino and i'm also filipino and panamanian but she she has the more stereotyped asian look and they keep casting her as like a japanese person or a chinese person and she's just like why can't i just be filipino like, why is it that asian enough like why does your racist fantasy have to be and so it's not specific, like anyone's right? watching porn being like oh she's not you know <laughs> she's not chinese i don't want right. this one like <laughs> no, yeah, it's just it's just ridiculous um, how limiting and how uncreative and how like how um, like bonded to racism like the you know this industry is. But so knowing that I was going into this industry to represent a different type of woman. When I talk in my films, I speak just like this. I might use an F-bomb or I might say, you know, an unanatomically correct word. Um, but for the most part, I don't lose my enunciation. I don't start speaking with an accent. I don't roll my eyes any more than I would normally roll my eyes. I don't pump my butt to a bigger size. Like none of that. Um, and because of that, we decided to start our own company. So Royal Fetish Films is specifically to exalt black and brown bodies doing an, um, an array of kink and sex and um, sex acts that you would oftentimes not see black women or black men casted for. Um, you often don't even see black men and women having sex together. Like every um, oftentimes companies only hire us to for interracial scenes, which interracial scenes are only black and white. Um, it doesn't even include if it's a, um, a Latino and a black person or a Latino and a white person, they just kind of keep it super, super narrowed down to black and white. Um, so we, are cre we create content that allows people to go like, oh, that's what black love looks like. Oh, that's what a professional woman with three kids body with a woman who has three kids that's what her body looks like that's important you know the very essence of ha uh, of making a child is sex right so if nothing else like my body is definitely an indicator that this lady has sex <laughs> you know and and when we don't have the like even not being able to see a woman postpartum naked doesn't allow a woman um the the visuals to be in touch with her body because it's 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 
it's a huge shift. And when you don't see somebody embracing their body that looks like yours, it can get very difficult for you to find that space to embrace your own. So we do need to see different styles of bodies. Um, we need to see the diversity of black women. Some are light, some have short hair, some have long hair. Um, and, and then racism towards black women in the industry is also, you, it's also very prominent in, in these couple, in these areas. Very often there isn't a makeup artist or a hairstylist that knows how to work with hair different than yours or different than theirs. That's your profession, you know? And so if someone says that they cannot do my hair or my makeup, that person, it's not my hair and my skin color is not the problem. You are just not operating at the highest level of your craft. You should go home. I shouldn't suffer and look bad on film. Directors, producers don't think about lighting. Our bodies light differently. You know, um, I will, I don't look good under the same type of light as my co-star. So you do have to take 10 or 15 extra minutes to, to calibrate. Anything less than that is you just being lazy and telling me like, I don't matter. The quality of my appearance in your production doesn't matter. Um, we see this in wage disparities where white women are getting paid more than, um, than their black counterparts, casting, definitely in awards. Um, we see that there is no representation of black and brown people on these awards. So you think Oscar's so white, like porn so, so white, you know? Um, these porn is just a microcosm of the larger society for sure. So um, I think uh, any, any area in any industry that you can imagine where black and brown people are discriminated, it's that times more in the porn industry and it's legal because no one is regulating that industry. So for that, we own our own, we create our own, we distribute our own. Um, the only pe person that feeds me is my fans and that's who I stay loyal to is creating content so that they can see themselves. Wonderful, and I also think that's so important, especially for women, because we have this whole idea, even just me as a white woman, I don't always look like every single white woman on TV. Mm -hmm. I, I enjoy mm -hmm. bagels in the morning and you know I like to eat um, so I don't have, you know, the skinny physique or, you know, I may not be as curvy as, you know, the current, current ideal that's kind of going around right mm -hmm. now. But I think representation is so important. And mm -hmm. my experience is such a, a micro because I do kind of look like everyone. But just the idea mm -hmm. behind not even being represented at all and yeah. all of the, mm -hmm. I don't know if I would call it. I guess microaggressions with the lighting and the makeup mm -hmm. and all these little mm -hmm. things that obviously add up because mm -hmm. they make, you know, a black or brown person's experience so much more draining is like yes. so it's it's exhausting to hear. So just living it sounds mm -hmm. you know just it sounds like a lot. But I actually wanted to kind of talk about what we discussed before we started recording because we were talking a little mm -hmm. bit about, um, someone sent you a video on Twitter, or a, a quote. Do you wanna mm -hmm. maybe mm -hmm. discuss um, what that was? Yeah, so um, let me actually see if I can still access it. I have to look, take, take a look on my phone, because this happened right before we got on the call. And um, I got on the call pretty, pretty hot. <laughs> and I was like, let me tell this lady what's going on. So I'm just not like, I just unloaded on you. So thank you for being an awesome, awesome oh, no listener. Problem. I think um, it's, we should talk about this because it. Mm -hmm. It's real life. It's today. Yeah, and even yeah. what we were talking about earlier about kind of your experience with feeling like the responsibility is your own to have all of these, you know, um, they're not even accommodations, just things that you expect when you go into a job, you expect mm -hmm. to have the tools provided mm -hmm. to you. It's like putting the blame on you for being different when you're right, just, right. you're what they wanted. So you mm -hmm. think that they mm -hmm. would accommodate, mm -hmm. but it's kind of like yeah. not victim blaming, but just putting the responsibility on the individual that is, is mm -hmm. not mm -hmm. the white norm essentially. Right. So I feel right. Like 
so yeah so this comment came from um one of the i guess administrators or board members i'm still kind of working through finding out um exactly what individual made this statement but it was under the account of the adult performers guild and um, so again, this is this is would be equivalent to our union, right? Um, so, so it says too many times models are upset after a scene. Oh, where'd it go? Okay, too many times models are upset after a scene. But when we ask them, did you communicate that with the director? The answer many times is no. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't communicate, it's hard for the director to know you're uncomfortable. Please communicate. And then it has the person's initials, KP, who we're still trying to figure out who it is. Um, so that comment is incredibly problematic, especially in a, in a time and space where um, specifically, no, I'll just say, I'll just say people in all type of forms of uh, the arts and entertainment industry are um, speaking out about the the way that they have been made to feel uncomfortable, the way power dynamics have been hung over their head, um, the way that they have, like you said, not had reasonable accommodations for a workplace setting. And this comment suggests that um, women, or not, not each, they said ladies and gentlemen, so that people are not speaking up fast enough, soon enough, um, and I take a lot of offense to that because that's not how people process whether it's something traumatic or even um, a simple microaggression or a feeling of discomfort. Um, you know, when I have a headache that's starting to come on, I may not say, you know, oh my gosh, I have a headache. I might just be thinking like, huh, I wonder if this headache is gonna persist. Is it gonna turn into a migraine? Oh, it's starting to throb. It's at the front of my head. So I haven't even begun to start to formulate and articulate what my complaint is. I'm still trying to source what it is that I'm feeling. And so that comment saying, like, you need to speak up before you leave. Um, and, and even using the word complain is pretty freaking dismissive. And, um, you know, just to kind of take it, just to, you know, kind of dig into it a little further if the director, in this case scenario, um, is doing the director's job, they would be doing continuous check-ins with their talent. They will be assessing for more than just a complaint. They're going to be looking for verbal cues. They're going to be looking for other indicators to assess if their talent is feeling comfortable. Even more so, at the beginning of any scene, we're supposed to be outlining what it is that we're doing, what we're comfortable with, what we're not comfortable with. How do I know if you're not feeling comfortable? Can I trust that you're, you'll share with me? Um, or should we be taking a couple of breaks throughout? These are things that can be negotiated. And really, um, when we're talking about negotiating in a workplace, like one, it should certainly happen. But when we're talking about like an intimate workplace where in in, in my industry, people are, are naked and, you know, they're having sex and they're experiencing things physically, mentally. And let's go ahead and add the financial power component. If I complain now, am I going to get paid? You know, uh, if someone doesn't feel comfortable voicing their their angst in a moment you have to stop and and let's not blame the person first let's actually see what that environment was like did i create an environment that allowed this person to feel comfortable coming to me first ask yourself that question and then if you feel that you did take it a step further and ask that person what could i have done to make this environment more um, like you said, accommodating for you to be able to make your needs known. And then if that person at that point in time can't tell you and they just say, oh, no, it was just me having a headache, then you get to relinquish responsibility. But until you do that introspective work, that assessing of what your environment is that you're inviting people in and you actually ask that person, what could I have done differently? Then you can't relinquish responsibility yet you're just as much a part of that team, that, that setting as anyone else is. A hundred percent. And I think that's a very, 
you know, this idea of like relinquishing responsibility because it's not my problem. They should have done it is a huge thing within the whole victim blaming idea. Mm -hmm. But even just, Mm -hmm. I feel like it's such a colonial thing too, to just be like, well, we did this and you didn't say anything or we shushed you in a certain way. So it's okay. Mm -hmm. Or you should have done it. Or it's not our responsibility. It's theirs. And it's, it's something that is obviously so prominent in your industry, but I think mm-hmm. it is very ingrained in our society and especially mm-hmm. in power dynamics, even beyond like the work, mm-hmm. um, the workforce mm-hmm. or the work industry, whatever um, mm-hmm. field you're in. And I think it's very important for those who are really trying to learn about how to be as inclusive and as anti-racist as possible to really think about every individual that you are having an experience with or an encounter with and how to make that experience Mm -hmm. as inclusive and comfortable and as safe as possible. And it may not be things that you will be able to understand directly. There are certain things that, you know, I acknowledge that you have to think about and experience and and you know even microaggressions that you may have internalized that I will yeah. never be able to entirely understand because I will never have that experience but if we are working together I want to make it as comfortable for you as possible exactly. and I think so many people have mm-hmm. trouble doing that because obviously it's it's a lot more work but mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. in my opinion the just the like equal thing to do like it's not even righteous it's like yeah. we're raising fish for swimming you know I know, I know. But you know, you know, it's so interesting. Like, okay, okay, let's bring it right back to to the beginning of the conversation in terms of like, it's bad for everyone, right? Like the racism, sexism, ism, ism, all of those things. If nothing else, the way that I look about, look at it is like with that particular comment that we're just talking about in terms of the workplace. um, Even if you feel like this person is, is, is um, like a squeaky wheel and is super annoying and I did everything I possibly could. And blah, blah, blah. Like at the end of the day, that person complaining is going to hurt your business, right? So if you don't even care about women or you don't even care about talent or you don't care about black people, if you don't care about any of those things, care enough about yourself. You know, and I'm seeing that with these companies right now that are like issuing these empty statements that are not taking a stand, um, that are clinging so hard to like these uh, racist, sexist, it's, 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 it's ideologies. And it's like, do you not even care about yourself? You know, and then when they do that, then actually I have a better understanding. Ah, you don't care about yourself. So how the hell could you care about me? Okay, moving on. You know, and, and that's, that's kind of like, so racism, it's bad for everyone. When people are saying like uh, the rioting and the looting and, and all of this stuff, it's like, yes, racism will do that. This is the outcome of it. So if we want that to stop, let's actually look at the source. Let's stop that because we don't like the outcome of it. None of us do. Uh, But I think we have a really hard time, again, with that introspective, that look within, you know, and the only thing that it takes to look within yourself is just close your damn eyes. Just close your eyes. That's you. That's you right there in the dark. No, it's it's something that I think people are having a a hard time doing, Um, but Mm -hmm. I think like ignorantly so. Um, I feel like if if I really think about like the first couple weeks, this was kind of all going on I was like crying so much and then I was like if I'm crying so much now if I was a black woman what Mm -hmm. the hell would I be going through you know like and it's Mm -hmm. it's not a pleasant thing to have to think about but Mm -hmm. I think that it's the way the world is and if I don't Mm -hmm. think about it like this and if I don't cry and I don't go through the motions and do all Mm -hmm. this stuff Mm -hmm. that I'm just submitting to what is going on and that's not okay mm-hmm. in my opinion um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but kind of as we close off because we talked about yeah. so 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 much but i think it was such a broad but super unique conversation um 
I like to Thank ask you. people like what they would tell their younger self. A lot of our stu- our listeners are oh young uh, ladies, so maybe <laughs> what would you tell yes. your like fifteen to twenty year old self? Like, what does she need to know or hear uh, right now? Oh wow, wow, wow! I know wow. it's a loaded question, it, but it is though. It's a great question. One, I would um, say to myself like be more careful with who you sleep with because you might be attached to them for life. <laughs> As a person who, when you were like, I was, I'm 20 years old, I'm not thinking about kids. I was like, yeah, I was like uh, giving birth right, right at, at uh, 20. But yeah, I, I had just turned 20, like four oh months God, prior. And you did um, three degrees? So, Badass oh, yeah. was an Each understatement. Kid, I, it's a, <laughs> it's a, I got a degree oh per kid. Oh my God, um, amazing. But... Thank you. Um, but but really, like, you know, some of the some of the decisions that I made um, as a as a young person weren't really my decisions, you know, kind of um, taking a passive a passive approach to my life. And I really do think, you know, I, I wish that I had been taught less about what to do and not to do and more about how to make good decisions so that I could be active in my my own life. It wasn't really until I turned about 24 that I can honestly say I became an active participant in my life and not just allowing things to be done to me um, and um, or being reactive to life, but actually where I was um, in charge of my life, determining who came in and out, um, being able to pursue my goals, not like the goals that my family wanted for me, not the goals that like were trendy or, you know, that type of thing. So really spend some time thinking about how you make decisions. And um, if you, if that process works for you, if that process is beneficial to you, um, I, I also would say to my younger self that um, I could have found some more um, relatable role models. It, like I didn't realize how important that was or, or how important it is until I got a little older. So like not just like like um, like right now when I think of like oh, like Beyonce is so amazing, right? Um, and yeah, like I love her work ethic and, and all of that kind of stuff. I love the art that she puts out and all of that. But when I really need, when even at now at this age as a woman, I need to constantly have role models and mentors that are accessible, that are realistic, and that are truly in line with where I um, would like to go next. So it's it's great to have like idols to look up to, right? Because that's that's like cool. Um, but it is even more important to see what role models and mentors are right in your backyard and can help you with where you are like in this moment um, in your life and to, to constantly be putting these people in your life to help push you to to your greatest sense of self um, because growing up and growing into an adult is hard it's it's confusing um, and it can be really overwhelming and we don't we may not need the same guidance from our parents parents but we still need guidance and and i can say that to you as a 40 year old woman that i still seek guidance mentors and support i just wish i had started doing that at a younger age i think that's wonderful and i i inadvertently started doing that just now with the podcast and and having all Mm -hmm, these wonderful mm -hmm. women come and speak to me and i i'm obviously learning as i go and it's definitely something that's you know, growing as the podcast does grow and as mm-hmm. I kind of grow up into like yeah. a mini adult, I like to call it because I don't feel, I feel, <laughs> I don't feel there yet, but, um, <laughs> like cling to that youth as long as you can, but you're, but you are still taking responsibility for, um, for yourself by continuing to learn and putting yourself in, in these challenging positions to ask hard questions that you may not have even experienced yet. Um, so I am happy to be on your journey and I'm like going to be plugged in to, to watch you grow from a mini to a medium <laughs> to a full force, to a force to be reckoned with. Cause oh, I see it. I, I see really- it. I appreciate see it. that. That's very sweet of you. Um, but before we go, do you want to remind everyone where they can find you on social media and plug yes. in whatever you want to plug right now? Go right ahead. Okay. 
Cool, cool, cool. So let's start with um, self-care first. If you're interested in the more therapeutic side of the work that I do, you can find me at bluepearltherapy.org and it's on all social media, Blue Pearl Therapy LLC. Um, if you want to look more into like the sexy side of things and fetish training and all of that type of discovery, you can check me out at jetsettingjasmine.com and I can be found on all social media for the most part, under Jet Setting Jasmine. And let's see, if you want to just skip all the learning and just jump right into the kinky entertainment, which there's still some education there, take a look at royalfetishxxx.com. Don't do that on your parent's computer um, or your school computer. Um, you def- it's definitely not safe for work, but it's some good stuff on there. Amazing. Well, I just wanted to thank you again so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking like the emotional labor because we did you know, start on a pretty heavy foot. Um, we did. But mm-hmm. I really think that these mm-hmm. conversations are super important to have and to continue having. Um, and I do want to challenge everyone who, you know, is still listening to do that little test on how systematic racism is ingrained in literally every single object and utensil and institution that you have. So try it at your dinner table. See how your parents uh, handle that conversation mm-hmm. and and try it with That's your friends. Right just have keep having these conversations and um I really appreciate you coming again um thank you so much for having me oh we're so glad you're here but before we go you know I can't forget to mention my plus one my plus one is a sexual wellness brand that encourages everyone to get use of sexual wellness products they're super easy and accessible and affordable and you can purchase them at your local CVS your Walmart Canada or Walmart US and on Amazon so make sure to check them out and check out their Instagram at underscore my plus one. But I just wanted to thank Jasmine again, and I wanted to thank you all for listening. We are 11 episodes in, and I'm so excited and super proud of this podcast. So make sure to check us out on Instagram at ladies. Let's talk about sex and feel free to DM us and let us know like what you think of the podcast. You know, maybe any suggestions you have, who you'd like to see on as a guest next. Keep us in the know and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.